Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. This is Amber. That's your pizza voice, isn't it? It's my pizza voice. She's thinking pizza. about pizza. She's thinking about pizza again. Yeah, sorry. Marnie in the studio. Yay, Hi. <laughs> uh, first, I think this is the first guest we've had in the studio since the apocalypse happened back in March. Well, and everyone was recently, I didn't have to be, but you guys were COVID tested recently, so everyone's good. What do you mean you didn't have to be? I haven't been exposed. How do you, how in the living hell do you know that? No one around me is tested positive and I sit in one space at work. Okay. <laughs> it's just, you got sick, so you thought you had something, and Marnie genuinely was. Yeah, we have both some had, we, Marnie and I both had a shit week. Yeah. Uh, we both fell apart this week. We were both dying, and of course, yeah. Now we live in a society where if you stub your toe, you're immediately running to the urgent care to get that brittle thing jammed up into your brain and both nostrils to ultimately get the results in a day or two, unless it's a rapid test. That's what Marnie um, had. Yeah, I had, you had the a fancy rap, one. You had the, uh, the fancy rapid test. I, I had the one I had to wait two days for, or three days, actually, two and a half, three I'm days. too impatient. have to have answers now. Yeah, well, the doctor, when, when the one I got this week, um, she said, she's like, well, do you, you know, do you go out a lot? I'm like, no, I work from home. She's like, dude, this is more accurate. That's what the doctor said. She's like, just wait, wait a couple days for it, and it'll. It, this would be better for you. I'm like, fine, whatever. And it came up negative, of course. Um, where's it? Where are you going now, Amber? Amber's just running out. Uh-oh. Kitty's oh, 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 look who came in here. So we shut the door, and all of a sudden he wants to come in. Come on in, buddy. So we were going to talk about that here. Um, so we've we've mentioned a few times that uh, we our our beloved Jenny. Uh, left us just 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 north of a couple months ago, uh, and we didn't know what we were going to do. Um, I, I'm still pretty burned out on that whole thing, and we we miss her terribly. But and that was a cat. If you're a new listener, <laughs> yeah, that was human. a cat. That was a cat. Yeah, that was a cat. Sorry, for the our beloved Jenny. It could have been a human. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a cat. Um, uh, we have some good friends that own a farm here in Michigan, and we made friends with this little kitty that lives on the farm with them. And his name's Rollins. And he's named after the wrestler. I guess it's Seth Rollins. That's what yeah. John... Now, I thought it was Henry you know, Rollins. The people but... that own the farm, I got to mention, I got I to gotta shout this out too. The, the people we're talking about is John. Uh, and he's an old unsung hero of this show. Uh, he's done a lot of technical work for us in the background, which was in the early days of the show, uh, working with me and Doug. Uh, on this he did a lot of uh just background stuff he's always been to me an unsung hero of ghostly talk and this is who i'm talking about uh and on his farm uh, they raise pretty amazing the the big white shepherds these big beautiful dogs and they're award-winning dogs they're competition dogs they're beautiful uh and rollins here our little rollins uh made uh, a hobby out of messing with the dogs yeah so it got to a point where John and John and Jen were like this thing. Um, this little guy, he's so cute. We love him to death, but he's gonna get hurt. He's either gonna the, either a dog's gonna get hurt going after him, Which or he's gonna get happened. killed, or he's gonna get killed. So um, they mentioned to us, "Would you guys be interested in just taking him for the winter?" Which I'm, you know, immediately I'm like, "Well, look, if we take him, I know what's gonna happen here. Um, we're not. It's not gonna be for the winter. We're not fostering this animal." If he comes with us, he's going to stay with us, which was perfectly fine, too, for them. So that happened literally a week ago, last Sunday to this day. We're recording this show on on the 18th. And, um, yeah, little Rollins just walked in the studio here. So is he over there? Yeah. 
Hey, buddy, where you at? He's a tuxedo cat. He's a tuxedo cat. Well, you know what? Let's throw a uh, a shot up on the site. And what do you think? Sure. Get a nice picture of him uh, up on the site. So people can see our new little studio cat, which he actually came in here. Yeah. Which because Jenny Jenny was you know she was an old lady we we talked about that earlier Marnie we were talking about that and she was Rollins is a younger cat he's only like four years old and I'm really surprised at what cats do like right. jump from the floor up yeah. to tables I'm like okay this is like superhero shit they're pulling yeah. what's going on here yeah when you have a younger cat they can do some crazy stuff but um, he's he's way more social yeah he wants to hang out a lot yeah. more cool cat though so yeah welcome Rollins yeah hey, Rollins so so. This show was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. We had Nick Redford on. Yeah. And we got to thank Marnie for help, helping us facilitate that. Yeah, you uh, brokered this deal. Yes. Nice job. Nick Nick was tricky to get a hold of uh, just because Facebook Messenger, which is what he uses, sometimes it's like, no, we're not going to alert the person that you tried to write them. And it kind of buries the message. It's weird. Especially if you're not like actual friends, friends with them on the page. So, them trying to shut us down. Yeah. So anyway, Nick has a new p- book out called The Martians. Yeah. That he's making the rounds on and the talk shows. He's on the circuit. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. so we really wanted to talk about, even though we, we joke on the show that he's written all the books, Nick is pretty prolific. He has written a lot yeah. for met for decades. Tons of books. And from all, all kinds of paranormal, supernatural topics. But this one, we're focusing on Mars the history, what they're finding, ancient aliens, ancient nuclear holocaust. It ties together so possible much. Possible face huggers. Yeah. We got it all. Everything. Everything's happening on this show. Well, and, and I think what makes this so exciting is I know I've spent a lot of years preaching this, that you know, I, am, I have no doubt in my mind that weird stuff happens that's beyond our contemporary understanding. There's no doubt in my mind whether, and I don't care what ghosts, UFOs, whatever it is, right? There's so, there's weird stuff that happens that we just don't understand yet. My my main thing I would like to understand or know is how it's related, right? And Nick ties a lot of this stuff together with his, with some of his ideas here and the research, I should say, that he's put into this book. That's the one thing I noticed was it it, it is a lot of the glue I talk about between all these different these different silos of ideas we have, which is considered the paranormal or the fringe. So that's what makes this a very, very exciting book. The idea that we've been here a very long time on the planet and that things have happened before our current civilization have potentially happened on other planets and come and gone. Carl Sagan said this, and it always stuck with me, that if you hold your arms out to your sides like you're going to go flying – and you just take a nail file and you file one end of one nail. You've just erased the human civilization. That's how big time is. And so if you think about it in that aspect, so many civilizations and intelligent beings and things can have could have come and gone. And of course, are already out there somewhere. We know that there's other intelligent civilizations out there doing their thing. And... We're finding more and more habitable planets, you know, through all of our high-powered telescopes and everything we're doing to look at the universe and universes out there. Well, we're one universe, but galaxies. Let's go with galaxies. There are so many habitable planets that could have vegetation, a sun, running water, everything that sustains life. Because I think there is a sort of pattern I didn't to know. Life. I didn't know plumbing was a force of nature. What? Do you, what? You said running water. Okay. okay, running well, water. Running water know, isn't a river running every, water. Every, okay, I, I fresh water. 
I think every good intelligent civilization will develop. It's a some, race of Super they will, Mario's. Ugh, they will develop some type of plumbing because everyone's going to be like, oh, what do we do with this? Ew, ew. We got to do something. Well, else. we have to assume the aliens <laughs> poop. Well, okay. And that's what that goes with my point. So aliens pooping, we are all a similar, I think life is a pattern. I don't think we go out there and find like jelly monsters and they're out there doing their thing. I think there is sort of a pattern, maybe two arms, two legs, some eyes, a brain. I, and I know that's not always the same when it comes to life on our planet. There are jelly things floating around doing their thing, but they're not making cars. They're not playing video games. They're just doing their jelly thing. So I think there's something to this. What? They're just doing a jelly thing. <laughs> they're doing jelly things. Well, we saw one of those. We did. Well, we did. Marnie and I did see something jelly-like in the sky flying that could have been intelligent. That was weird. But, you know, the, the, the what I, and you're right. They but, don't make cars. They don't make, no. they don't make smartphones. They just be a jelly. Yeah, and our cat, he's doing cool things. He's alive and smart, but he's just being a cat. So there's something with like our, I think our genetic makeup, our our plan, that it makes sense. Like I don't know. That's why well, I think that's I think curiosity. Well, and I think anything. that's that's why also though when we find other alien life forms, they're sort of what we call humanoid, like general pattern. Well, well, bipedal, you know, bipedal. Sure, two legs. Sure, but the the interesting thing about this book and this research and the photos that we were looking at, there isn't really a disconnect between what we have going on here in Earth and what we're seeing there. Mm-hmm. It actually just connects us. Yeah. So that's the glue. Yeah. So when you think about aliens in general, people talk about all these different types. You know, you have these very scary creatures, gray looking things, yeah. you know, reptilians. But Mars depicts something very human about it that's totally yeah. us and yeah. connected so that different but the same it yeah well and and really how different we don't really know because what we look at on there we have here yeah so that's that's the part that just it's mind-boggling to me to even consider that well yeah. nick mick mentions in the show inherited memory that our fascination with mars it's in our dna it's like it could be like same thing with animals, like why they know to do certain things right from the start when they're born. We could have been born with memories of past civilizations well, well, and with cultures instincts. and things. Yeah. And just, it's, I don't know. It's somewhere in a little grain of a little speck of DNA somewhere in us that triggers in a memory. And It's a program. It's Yeah, I don't know. It's really cool to think about. And it's, it's also sad to think about a potential civilization that's come and gone on Mars that or could still be there. Well, we have proof of civilizations on this planet that have come and gone. Well, yeah, we we have that that that's been proven. Why well, can't it be somewhere else? Other cultures, else? yeah, that have have yeah, they, they've come and gone. That, yeah, I know. So yeah. it's happened somewhere else. It's not far fetched. No, I mean, it this isn't. this his book isn't just oh that's sci fi, you know that's fake. Oh, there's just you know it's this is all possibilities and there's potential for this to be a very real thing. And and some of these things in the book might just one day be like oh no we totally proved that wrong. And something else in the book might be like yep. That was right. No, and, and that's all fine. And it's fun that's to read okay. all of it. Great. <laughs> what? what? Damn fine book. Damn fine book. No, it's it's a really cool book. Yeah. And it, it was a really great conversation we had with Nick Redfern. Guys, please enjoy our conversation with Nick Redfern.
All right, we're super excited on this show to welcome Nick Redfern, who Yay! has pretty much written all the books. We all the a, books. We have a few authors that come on the show that we say that, but like Nick really has probably written all the books. All the books. All of them. All there's of them. none left. You just go to the library fiction section. There's Nick. You go to the, any any section. There's Nick. There's Nick. Yeah. So Nick is Nick. Nick's recent book that I'm holding in my hands is The Martians: Evidence of Life on the Red Planet, and I was super excited to start reading this book because it's a topic that I'm not overly familiar with. I, anybody that's existed in the paranormal or any kind of fringe space stuff for a long time has heard things about life on Mars, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Uh, the face on Mars, the pyramids on Mars. Yeah, that's something, And yeah. there was a ton of stuff in this book that I was really surprised by that has went on. So we're going to definitely explore all this with, with Nick. But Nick, thank you for joining us on today's show. We're so happy to have you. Yay! <laughs> Hi, Nick. How well, are you, guys? Thanks hey, for having me on. Yeah, so it's, thank you for taking the time, seriously. Yeah, really and normally we that. would be see, we would have seen you this year at Michigan uh, Contact. Uh, yeah, yeah, UFO yeah, Contact. Yeah. I know. Yeah. In Houghton um, Lake, but, you know, next year, right? Are you still on board for next year? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, I love going to conferences because, you know, as well as sort of learning a lot and, um, you know, listening to the lectures. It's always a good, um, you know, fun social time as well. And um, so it's always sort of a, you know, a sad time when these events get cancelled. But um, that's how it is right now. And uh, hopefully, you know, eventually <laughs> it'll go away. So, so how, what have you been doing during this whole lockdown and COVID time in life? How, have you been writing more? Have you been doing a lot more online presentations? How have you been keeping um, yourself busy? Yeah, I mean, I've done a few TV shoots, and that's been done uh, basically uh, through Skype or Zoom. Um, and, you know, the quality's pretty much good. I mean, it's not as good as, um, you know, general TV work. But, I mean, most of these companies, they don't really have any choice. Right. <laughs> you know, it's either... It's either Zoom and Skype from home, or you don't have me in the show, you know. Yep. So, um, well, I haven't really done that much more work. I, I, I like to be sort of structured, and um, I like to sort of work 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, and I never work evenings, I never work weekends. Um, I, I like to just keep... I said nine to five, and then at five o'clock comes around, and uh, my laptop goes into sleep mode, and I don't touch it then till nine o'clock the next morning. And um, so, well, that's you know, actually that a very healthy that. way when you work when you work on your own well, like is. that. Yeah, um, and um, the only downside is, you know, I used to have a like a fun crazy you know sort of um, fun life but right now you know i can't go out and do all that anymore <laughs> and we've all Please. felt the bite on that it's a, and it, it is a bummer because yeah like you said the conferences yeah. and stuff are all getting yeah. canceled this year but, and um, yeah no adventure yeah i guess you know we just got to kind of um wait it out and um you know let's yep. hope it you know it combined with a, a virus which i'm not sure you know that's viable right now despite what's going on I, I just don't know i think like most of us we're just sort of sitting and waiting really so i know um, well that's the worst part too is it's like i'm trying to make my plans for next year we're trying to plan stuff for the show for next year too and um yeah. it's like i mean four three months ago we were like okay well next year we're good to go this year yeah it's not, it's not in the books but next but now we're getting closer to next year and yeah. things don't seem yeah. to be changing all that much. And I'm going, okay. Not in the U.S. Are we 
going to be stuck at home again for another year, and that's kind of scary because that's that's going to get well, ridiculous after a while. You can never be sure. No, you I can't. Suppose. Well, and and that's why we got to talk about something else than this planet. We got to talk about Mars. <laughs> Nice. Yes. <laughs> so we got to get into Mars Brilliant. here. And so, Nick, I really want to know what your inspiration was in, in getting interested in. Right. I mean, you write about UFOs. You write about monsters, ghosts, uh, CIA, men in black, uh, bloodlines, like all kinds of stuff. But what got you excited to start exploring the Red Planet? Well, um, when I was a kid, um, I heard the. This is when I first heard about the the story and the photos of the face on Mars. And for people who aren't aware of the face on Mars, it's called that because it looks like a face and it's on Mars. <laughs> 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 and um, it looks um, like a face peering up from the the surface of Mars out towards outer space, and. Um, the original pictures, you know, the, as I said, from 1975, it kind of looks like there's a, a large, huge face um, carved out of stone with two eyes, a nose, a mouth, and it has sort of like an arc around it, suggesting that it might be wearing um, like some sort of headgear. And the interesting thing is that, you know, it doesn't look like a reptilian alien or one of the black-eyed greys or anything like that. It looks exactly like a human face. And the the area itself uh, where you can see the, the, the face, it's called Cydonia. And not too far away from there, in the same area of Cydonia, you can see what appear to be heavily damaged pyramids, um, and NASA didn't deny, you know, the existence of the pictures. They said they basically felt it was the equivalent of somebody see, somebody seeing something like um, a picture of Elvis in a cup of coffee or something, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. You can find a lot of these stories online, you know, where somebody sees the face of this or the face of that. But I think... In this case, I don't think we're dealing with, you know, seeing a dog's face in the cloud or something like that. Um, and as I said, I heard about this story when I sort of started to read books on the paranormal when I was about 11 or 12. You know, I started reading things like Charles Berlitz and John Keel and people like that. And, um, and over the time, you know, I would sort of follow up on... Um, new developments in relation to Mars. And I thought, well, you know, I've been following this for so long. Why not put together like a, you know, a large comprehensive book? And uh, this runs to about 300 pages, The Martians. And, um, and put all the data out there so people can see the, the full picture um, of all the really genuinely odd phenomena that you can find on Mars. That's, and that's the thing, like right now Mars is super hot because we got the Curiosity rover on there mm. doing its thing, bringing back super high resolution images. When that thing went live and I went on the website and started looking, I'm like, this is so weird. I am looking at crystal clear photos of another world. Another planet. And you do tend to do that paradelia thing where you kind of look at things and you're like, oh my God, there's something over there and that looks like that over there and I think there's a cat. And I, so I see Holy where crap, people... there's a Starbucks. Yeah, oh, there's there. shit. There's a Starbucks on... Yeah, I know. Yeah. And so it's really... It, it's kind of fun to do that. So I see where people get excited about that. And with the face on Mars, I know Richard Hoagland really kind of catapulted the popularity of that through his books and research. And I, after time, 
as we've gotten better, well, higher resolution photos, the face didn't really look like a face anymore. It looked like just a mesa. So what do you make with these higher resolution photos coming in? Do you think there's still something through your research that that suggests this is an interesting, unique place to look at? Or do you think over time we've just been like, okay, it's just a big giant rock? Well, I mean, this is the, the big debate about the face on Mars. You know, is it something that was a carved face? Or, you know, is it something that... Um, you know, appears to be the real thing versus, you know, just something that's coincident, you know. Um, but um, when people ask me this question, you know, when it comes to the angle of, um, you know, why does it look different to now uh, from the pictures um, back in 1975? And the, the primary reason is because um, they were taken basically across a, a, t- a time frame of, close to 20 years so the technology was different and also um, the pictures were taken from um, vastly different um, levels in the uh, in the Martian orbit so those are the two primary reasons but I always refer people to uh, the late Mac Tonis who was a a Mars expert, and I quoted him in the in the book. He was a good friend of mine, and um, I'll just tell you what he said because it's it kind of gets to the point. And he said, when NASA released the first Mars Global Surveyor image of the face in 1998, they chose to subject the image to a high pass filter that made the face look hopelessly vague. This was almost certainly done as a deliberate attempt to nullify public interest in a feature that the space agency is determined to ignore. So that is basically um, how Mactonis um, approached this. He felt that, that by using these particular filters, which they did, um, that it actually uh, sort of blots out some of the, the more important um, aspects of the the creation itself and um, and a lot of people don't realize that you know that it was applied to this particular filter which really did um, affect the the image itself and uh, of course you can go two ways with that you know that they just wanted to get it off their hands or you know it was an attempt to basically not you know, not 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 put the story out there uh, for people to see, or to just kind of dumb it down a little bit, or it could have been a you know a combination of the two, really. I mean, and I guess well, the obvious question to come at that then is why? What's the big deal? Why can't people know about this? If this truly is a very mm-hmm. detailed face on Mars, what's the problem mm-hmm. with that? Why can't people? I mean. What's the motivation yeah. to, to block it out like that or put it through an Instagram filter, basically? <laughs> I mean, what's the, motiv- uh-huh. what's the motivation to do that? Well, the, the primary theory that I have is the possibility, and it is just a possibility, <coughs> excuse me, um, it would be that if that, that we keep digging and digging and finding more and more, that it might have some sort of impact on our history or possibly our religions and things like that. You know, in other words, you're sort of opening uh, like a Pandora's box, so to speak. Um, And I think there's a possibility that somebody has found something at Mars 
and which is so profound that for whatever reason that we literally aren't going to be told um mm-hmm. and as i said I, the only main reasons i can think of are something that would affect history religion things that could actually sort of um you know create significant controversy um but one of the things i always tell people as well in relation to the the story of the face on mars is the fact that it's not the only face um i don't know if any of you have got the the book in front of you i do we have two copies of it sitting in front of us okay all right well if you turn to page 153 i'm there okay you'll see um what looks eerily like um yet another face now arguably this one is even more intriguing than the the original face now this one um the 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 image itself has become known as the crowned face and if you look at it you've got got what looks like a crown sitting on somebody's head and you can see two eyes and if you look on the the right hand eye as you look at it you can actually see like a pupil carved in it. You've got a thin nose. Below that, you can see even two nostrils and then lips, uh, like top lip, bottom lip, and a chin. Yeah. And it's very difficult to reconcile that by saying, oh, it's just the equivalent of, um, you know, a dog's face in the clouds. It really doesn't look like that. It's that very actually detailed. does look like a very damaged statue of some sort. Yeah. Um, and of course, just like the face on Mars, it isn't looking outwards like the Egyptian Sphinx. Just like the face on Mars, it's pointing upwards, you know, towards the sky. And if you look at the picture on the opposite side, page 152, yeah. now this is a real NASA picture of what looks like some sort of weird, creepy spidery crab-like creature scuttling up um yeah like a part of a cave on mars now again nasa has not denied that they took the picture and put it in the public domain but again they're saying well it's like you know just you, you can see anything if you go looking for it you know but i my answer to this question about this spidery thing which became known as the face hugger from the <laughs> does look like that <laughs> yeah even nasa call it even nasa calls it the face hugger <laughs> but if you look at that it's really difficult to explain how that could be a piece of rock it actually does look like sort of a rounded body with a head at the top and eight limbs um and um the size we don't know um but it was of some significant size. So you'd be talking around about sort of five to six feet in height. Um, and be pretty daunting to see that thing come scuttling across the, oh, the no. Martian landscape towards you. But, um, but you know, those kind of pictures, the, the crowned head and, um, you know, and this weird spidery thing... Um, it's it's hard to deny any of these pictures you know i mean i admittedly i did go out and you know picked up the best pictures because i felt the worst thing you could do is just provide pictures that really don't you know they could go either way but with a lot of these i don't think they can go either way i think the carved head 
looks like a carved head because that's what it is. And I do think that is some sort of living creature on the surface of Mars. Well, you look at how many creatures live at the bottom of our oceans in extreme mm. conditions. It's not that far-fetched to think that something could be living in Mars' Mars's environment and has adapted or has always been there. didn't have to adapt. It's just what it grew up in. And no, and if that's what it looks like, that's terrifying. Yeah, if there's like face hugger type things on Mars, I don't know if I want to go on the first manned uh, mission <laughs> and be part of that crew and come out the door and, oh, my God. Like, no, no. Like, get some raid. That's, but, but, when, but you're right. You're right, yeah. Nick, what, and, do you uh, know when that picture of the, the face, What do you know when that one was taken, how recent that one was? What, the, the crown head? Yes, that yeah. One. Yeah. Oh, that was back in the 90s. Oh, that was from the 90s. Okay, yeah. that's really but, clear. But I don't, for whatever reason, even within the <laughs> sort of the Mars research community, um, there hasn't been that much um, research. But um, there are a number of other sort of anomalous pictures that seem to show carvings in that same area. You know, they don't just seem to be rocks that okay. um, are just sitting around. They seem to have been carefully carved. And... Um, and if you also turn to um, page 101, um, you'll see another photograph. This is an aerial photograph taken by one of um, NASA's um, orbiter craft. And what you're actually seeing is the Martian service, uh, surface um, with what look like bushes or trees um, poking up through the landscape. And um, now, I guess... You know, if you're talking about Martian trees and bushes, they're not going to obviously look exactly like ours. But if you look at that picture, they do seem to be bushes or trees. Now, NASA has an explanation for this. They, their answer is that it's just ice crystals that are built up. But to be honest, they don't really look like ice crystals to me. They look like you're looking down on like a thick, round, circular clump of bushes it does look like that and they and you suggest in the book too that they de, they de, kind of describe them if you're gonna have if there's an equivalent on earth with the banyan tree and the banyan tree That's does right. have a very sci-fi looking just it looks yep. very like a creature almost it's a really unusual unique tree and it, it does mm -hmm. it has that that the top of it looks like that i love that arthur c clark was really excited about this thinking that there was this forest on mars and kind of seemed like he stood by that he believed that that was true. And I know, mm -hmm. did, I don't know if I remembered this right, but did Arthur C. Clarke, was he motivated to write 2001 Space Odyssey and with the whole monolith thing, was that inspired by explorations on Mars? Well, I mean, what's interesting about that is that, you know, in 2001, came out in 1968, and for people who don't know, it's... Um, it's sort of an, an alien-driven story, and it begins with these sort of very primitive um, humans fighting, and this monolith suddenly monolith. appears, yeah. and it essentially sort of upgrades their intelligence, and they start to, you know, become civilized. And um, what's particularly intriguing is that um, when you follow the story you find that there's actually a parallel in the real world because um, nasa's actually taken pictures of monoliths on um both uh, mars itself and on phobos which is one of uh, mars's moons mm -hmm. and um 
if you look at the images again of um, of Phobos and um, of Mars itself, it's really difficult to think, you know, these upright um, stones are anything other than what they are, which is sort of genuine uh, monolith. Yeah, so, you, you know, it's kind of got, you've got a situation where it's sort of fiction and fact have sort of melted together, so to speak. And um, Well, it but, makes uh, me question, it makes me think where that inspiration, well, well, I've seen I've seen 2001. Uh, it's a fantastic movie, and it just and just to think yeah. that there may be some truth to that, what the monolith actually was, right? That that kind of just floors me a little bit. Yeah. I think we need, well, we need a monolith to land here and upgrade our intelligence again right now. Yeah, that would really be good. Yeah. We really should do that. <laughs> that needs well, to happen. I'll tell you where the if you go to page 118, 118. You'll see one of the Martian monoliths that, again, that NASA admitted they they took the picture, but they don't yeah, think there's anything there. to it. But if you look at the one on 118, it looks like a perfect. It looks like a domino, like a, you know, yeah, a, a big a, giant it domino. Does. Yeah, it looks totally. like a domino. And then if you swing back to 112, you'll see another one, which is it's literally taking the picture from directly above and now had it not for the fact that there being a shadow there yeah you wouldn't be able to put it to any perspective to it of what it was but you can see from the shadow that it's clearly like a long pole-like stone that's um you know of a, a fairly significant length it's huge yeah it is yeah. big it's very big. And, and the fact that, you know, it should have so eerily paralleled 2001, you know, it kind of, for some researchers, they wondered if, you know, that the, these images may have been found before and somebody, maybe in the intelligence community, subtly found a way to get this part of the story into the public domain. Well, and I like the history of Mars in general because you mentioned in your book going all the way back to Jonathan Swift, who wrote the famous book Gulliver's Travels, and that he brought up, uh, I forget in which writing it was, that Mars had two moons. And this was 150 years before those moons were discovered, and he was a Freemason. So there's always been that theory that Freemasons are really interested in space and other life and all that stuff. And so I thought that was kind of a cool thing to read, especially because I'm an English nerd. So I, I love uh-huh. literature and, and I love Gulliver's Travels and I love Jonathan Swift. So I that what what writing was that in that he mentions the two moons? Oh, well, that actually is in um, Gulliver's Travels. Was Travel. it in Gulliver's Travels? Um, okay. Yeah. Which is, which is a novel, but in the story, it talks about how one of the races in the novel, they, that they talk about the two moons of Mars. Now, you made a good point when you said, you know, about the, the sheer time frame from when um, the book was written, the novel was written, when Swift wrote it, um, versus when we actually found that there really were two uh, moons on Mars, uh, or <laughs> orbiting Mars, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Um, and um, so the big question is, how did Jonathan Swift come to know that Mars really did have um, two moons? Now, on top of that, the um, dimensions and the mileage, etc., that um, Swift gave in his novel for the moons was actually not too far off from the the real dimensions of the two moons so there's also that question to be asked and answered um 
So all I can really kind of think of, and I, I mentioned this, is, you know, some sort of like archaic secret historical material that somebody in the past had uncovered and found the two moons of Mars long before our civilization did. Well, and, and with the history of Mars itself, it's so fascinating how many people have talked about potentially a nuclear war, giants on living on Mars. Genesis talks about giants. There's a lot of things with giants going back in our past. Zachariah Stitchin and all of his writings. And I, I think the I, well, what I really want to talk about, because this makes me think of the giant thing, the remote viewing project of the yeah, CIA. we talked about that yesterday. I'm reading this in the book, and I'm like, Scott, Scott, oh my God, this is the coolest thing I've read in the book. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. And there's, it's there. You can read it. The CIA, it's it's there. You can re- look at the documents. It, it was from 19, I think it was 84. And yeah. there is a conversation, and I don't think... Nick, did the guy doing the remote viewing that was actually doing it, did he know he was remote viewing Mars or he was just given coordinates and told to describe what he sees? No, he, no. actually it was done deliberately. And th- this is an intriguing part of the story because, um, you know, remote viewing um, is very sort of skilled talent um, and it's sort of reliant on using the human mind, using coordinates and and imagery and sometimes actually holding on to items to try and get a sort of an imagery that way as well and um it was may the 22nd 1984 when the first cia remote viewing of mars began and he actually began very very quietly and secretly and um the important thing to note of course is or the big question is why did the CIA in 1984 feel that there was some, um, you know, degree of importance to remote view Mars in the first place? You know, it's not like, you know, somebody from the CIA just gets up in the morning and says, oh, I think I'm going to remote view Mars this morning. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it doesn't work like that. You know, these programs are carefully put together. So in other words, there had to have been something around that time but had the CIA either intrigued and interested or concerned even that something was going on and had been going on on Mars. And so they began the, um, the first program in 1984. And what was interesting was that the, the primary remote viewer said that um, he could see Mars. It was like in total chaos, you know, like the, the atmosphere was on fire and there was earthquakes and, um, you know, the, the planet was basically destructing or spiraling out of its, um, of its atmosphere as well. And um, as if there'd been something, you know, some kind of worldwide um, planetary destruction, possibly something like a nuclear war um, or something along the lines of a massive... Um, uh, amount of um, like asteroids slamming into Mars because one of the theories is that there's one particular massive crater on Mars and it's yeah. the the most likely scenario is that one of the asteroids from the asteroid belt uh, broke out of orbit and slammed into Mars. Now, if you've got five or six or seven of these asteroids slamming into Mars out of gigantic size, you know that could actually. Um, 
be the cause of what happened. But more intriguing, the remote viewer um, also said that that uh, he could see what looked very much like a humanoid figure not too dissimilar to us except for the fact that they were somewhere in the height of about 10 to 12 feet you know which would be pretty imposing you know if you were to see like a creature or a humanoid not too similar to a dissimilar to us but of sort of 12 feet tall (laughs) looming over you and and also and this is an interesting part of the story as well um, a number of them were reportedly um, sort of fleeing into these massive underground bunkers and areas that had reportedly um, at some point been constructed. Now, that was the CIA's first remote viewing um, program, and the CIA declassified um, the the file itself um, very very quietly um, about ten years ago. Most people didn't even know about it. They just declassified it, but did not put like a huge uh, press release or anything like that. You know, saying what they'd found. So most people didn't know until just about you know round about the time when I put the book out and I started to highlight it. Um, but as I said, the most important angle is what prompted the CIA to do this in the first place and um and I also interviewed um another uh, remote viewer Kimberly Rackley who's a good friend of mine and um and also a very skilled um remote viewer and she came up with some very similar things as well such as um very tall humanoid type uh, martians of you know sort of massive damage to the sort of ecosystem and the atmosphere and also um some stranger creatures deep below the surface which actually sound a little bit like those crab type creatures mm. um and you know and you put all this together i think what we're seeing is something sort of some kind of terrible destruction occurred on mars probably hundreds of thousands of years um maybe less than that but not very not recent times certainly and at some point there was a worldwide catastrophic event which resulted in just sort of um, remnants left over of the civilization in the form of like carved heads, yeah. statues, things like that. And I think that's sort of a feasible scenario. It's kind of like the situation we would have if, God forbid, ever happened, you know, a nuclear war, you know, sort of 10,000 years from now. The you know the whole planet would be sort of overgrown again with trees, bushes, etc. Um, you know, buildings would be just would have been shattered in the war, you know. So 10,000 years later, there really wouldn't be that much to see, really. Well, I mean, the, the nature would most, well, depending on uh, half-life of, of, of nuclear waste, it's pretty long. Yeah. But nature always yeah. would take over I, again. We just yeah. take the Earth back. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're right about that. I mean, now, obviously, Mars doesn't seem to have a lot of vegetation on it, and I, I'm right in line with you on that, too. And I, that's why I'm, I might fall back to this this idea again about I don't know what it really changes in our history mm. unless there's something that, that's been conclusively found out as a result of, the, of us visiting Mars that we've got crystal clear like this this whatever information it is, it changes everything as far as we're concerned. Right. And that's 
I guess to me, and I'm again, I'm spitballing these ideas. Um, it has to be something like that. That's the only reason. Because I mean, let's be frank. I, honestly, I've been doing a lot, a lot of like. Uh, I've just been watching a lot of NASA videos and stuff like that over the last couple of weeks. And NASA is no stranger to covering stuff up. And if they're not afraid to cover up um, stuff that happens right on this planet, that happens every day, that happens within their line of work, their line of business, that don't surprise me that they're actually covering up stuff that we've discussed already. You know, for reasons that I really, I think we all would love to know why. <laughs> and it could be what well, we're talking about here. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the only, like I said, Briefly earlier, the only reason I can think why something like this would be hidden would be because of it affecting our history yeah, yeah. and uh, and religions. Now, as you also mentioned earlier, you know, you can look throughout ancient texts and manuscripts all around the world of, you know, the gods coming down and they were giants, you know, like in the Old Testament, yep. it talks about the giants coming down and, and taking human women and all this and um you know and then they have children and you know these these sort of um elite children live to sort of 700 800 years you know like um methuselah for example yeah um so you know i think the possibility could be that somebody who is in the know within government knows that some of these stories that are perceived as biblical stories of giants could actually be evidence of a fleeing Martian nation, if you like, or civilization, against all the odds, making it to the earth and then yeah. being perceived by the people of that era as gods uh, when they were literally just another form of of life and of course that would have a huge impact to say that you know significant portions of the old testament were based on alien visitations or aliens fleeing from mars to earth i think it's something like that that would consider make some people within government to consider hey you know should we actually even bring this out because it's just going to create so much um controversy which you know at the best of times there's um you know fighting in relation to religion to bring aliens into it and have you know sort of a you know a leading figure in the world to announce this um i think they would really just rather keep this hidden because it's just too much of a thing to reveal yeah well watch uh watch 20 years from now after disclosures happen that we realize that ancient aliens the show was part of the disclosure movement to help us get comfortable <laughs> with the ideas of ancient you know aliens and all of these things that could have happened because i swear to god half the planet watches that show it's been one of the most popular shows well, on history it's channel so it's cultural my, meme now, my basically. mom quotes it like, when we bring up something about history, she's like, well, on Ancient Aliens, they said, and, like, like it's just verbatim history book, which is hilarious, and I love it. And I love that that show, I know, like, history professors and other people will sit there and say, oh, you know, they're just throwing stuff out there, and it's all just yeah. hearsay and whatever. It's, yeah. But you know what? It makes people think. And for me, when I first watched that show, it sent me in a thousand different directions to go and grab this book. And, well, what, who was this stitching guy? Let's read more about him. Oh, yeah. who's this guy over here? And I would just keep reading and keep learning. And, and I know, Nick, you've been on this show a couple times, I think. Yeah, I've done it quite a few times over yeah. the years. And, um, 
you know, it's. I mean, they cover a lot of areas. Um, I'm not sure how many times you can keep going on and on. But, I, know. <laughs> I know. I know. That's why it's, I'm shocked exactly it's anything else Or much else to say. I don't know. I mean, that's up to them. But, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, um, you know, there's no doubt that that show has sort of really opened people's eyes to the idea, you know, that um, there could have been ancient human civilizations belong you know, I mean long before ours and there could also have been extraterrestrial visitations as well or maybe in some way we don't understand they're actually you know both parts of one thing as well you know so mm. there could have been an ancient highly advanced human civilization that was around at the same time as the Martians came to the earth you know and that could account for you know, some of these stories of ancient nuclear war, maybe an ancient human civilization went to war with a Martian civilization. And, um, you know, you look at stories like um, Sodom and Gomorrah, if you read that carefully, that looks just like, you know, somebody using tactical nuclear weapons um, to flatten one particular city, etc., um, a lot of people don't know that, you know, when Sodom and Gomorrah were, were destroyed um, in that area, there are actually a number of other um, cities. There were five altogether. And, you know, not all of them were destroyed. Everybody knows about Sodom and Gomorrah. And so that does sound like, like tactical nukes. And, um, you know, you have the story of um, Lot's wife as they're fleeing from the, from the cities. Mm-hmm. And there are these mysterious angels as they're known who warned them you know just leave the city as quickly as you can and don't turn round and don't turn back now telling people not to turn round um if you're fleeing a nuclear a potential nuclear war there's a very good reason for that and it's a kind of a grisly one but and this relates to real um you know if ever it came to like a real nuclear war the fact is that if uh, a nuclear weapon is detonated and you're literally within maybe a mile, mile and a half, even maybe two miles, um, it can cause massive damage to your eyes and it can even uh, literally melt your eyeballs. Mm. Um, and so telling someone not to turn around um, and look um, is a wise thing to do. And there's also the fact that... Um, these so-called angels warn the family as well, you know, just keep going, not just turn around, but just don't even look at anything. And in the story, um, Lot's wife was turned to a power, uh, excuse me, um, a pillar of um, salt. Now, what's interesting is that in the old um, texts, the word salt is actually interchangeable with vapor. So, in other words, she could have been vaporized. And again, that's one of the other sort of grisly aspects of an all-out nuclear war. Or, you know, when you're, like in in Japan, you know, at the end of the Second World War, if you're in the direct or, you know, not even in the direct um, location, but, um, you know, sort of quarter of a mile away, you could literally be vaporized into dust. So... You know, you can make a very strong case that um, these ancient destructions of multiple cities um, thousands of years ago could have been the result of, you know, sort of warring factions between Martians and um, and who knows. But um, but I, as I said, I think the primary 
most important thing is the secret I think is being hidden because religion is so inflammatory and I, ju I think they really don't know how to handle telling that story and and that's as I said, I mean, yeah, that's those are the things I was thinking too. Um, I think also just well, I always say too. I mean, and this is like what we're talking about here, as far as Mars is concerned. This, this isn't the first time this is this is happening. I think I'm mean, cover up stuff like that. I think it happens a lot more than we want to believe it does. Because not only, I mean, religion, I think is the, the big one here. And I mean, I'm not I'm not here to shit on religion either. But I mean, that's a big one when we're talking about this topic and ideas of this sort, but I think it gets even more micro. Um, I've seen it a lot just doing this show and talking to people on this show. And I mean, some people, they have careers to protect. They have reputations to protect. And there's ideas that can sometimes get out there that may change their whole. I mean, and I have to say, I, I somewhat sympathize with this to a certain degree. Um, if you're a person that's spent the last 20 years working on some type of theory about something that's not really explained, but you're trying to explain it, and then somebody comes along with a different idea that would totally just stomp all over your idea, well, I, I, I guess I can see there's a bit of territoriality involved with that. Um, and you're not going to think logically and say, well, all I'm trying to do is get to the truth here, right? And that's what the idea is, is let's get down to the truth. Uh, I think the problem with that, though, is even on a micro level like that or a very big level, like we're talking about with religion. Um, yeah, I guess it comes back down to, I guess the idea where, where governments think that we just can't handle things. <laughs> we just can't, we, we they'll can't. never be able to it's, handle this. It's clear right now. We can't. Well, maybe they're right, <laughs> but I love the Okay. Fact. You know what? They're right. Let's, yeah. I'm glad they're covering this up. I don't want to know. That's why we need the monolith to upgrade us. Yeah. But I, <laughs> I, I, I think there, there's, we were going to mention the pyramids. Yeah, let's tell you. Well, I want to talk about. Pyramid. I want to talk about pyramids. Well, there's similarities too, of course. Because there, yeah, because everywhere cultures all across our planet have created pyramid structures for all, whatever all reason. All over the planet. And then there's even been you know when we talked about the face on Mars and creepy creatures and and all this other stuff, but there have been pyramids and it's what's the big one the DN the, the DNM DNM yeah yeah so yeah. what what are what's the story with those. Well, I mean, th this is actually one of the most important parts of this because, you know, when people have said, well, this is just like, you know, you're seeing what you want to see, that kind of thing. Now, there's a reason why I don't think um, that's the case. And it actually relates to this whole situation. Um, it's why is it that so many of the structures that are seen on Mars, why is it that they all seem to be relative to, um, like, Egyptian architecture. Yeah. Uh, for example, you know, you don't see what looks like on Mars ancient Roman architecture yeah, or no. ancient Greek architecture. Whether you believe it's real, you know, uh, created or it's just really is random rocks, why is it that they should all be... Um, you know, why should they all be Egyptian-based? And, and that's one that, you know, an issue that often gets forgotten, you know. And um, so I think somewhere in the distant past, in ways we don't fully understand, at some point there was a connection, I think, between Earth and Mars. And, you know, when people talk about Mars, 
they don't talk about it the way they did it, say, about um, Venus or Mercury or Saturn. In other words, it's almost as if we have some kind of, like an affinity to Mars, like a, like an inherited memory that, you know, we, we're sort of fascinated by it. If you look back into the, the old cultures, you know, Mars played a, a hugely important role um, as like a deity and and within history, you know, in um, Egypt and in uh, ancient Greece mm-hmm. and in um, ancient Rome, you know, so there's this angle, almost like I said, like an inherited memory that we know that there is some kind of connection, but due to the passage of time, you know, we've kind of tragically lost that connection, but we know that somehow... You know, that we, it's almost like, you know, when you have a dream and you wake up in the morning, a really good dream, and but then it starts to go away, you know what I mean? And you can't get it back, yeah. but you remember it. Yep. There was something on the tip of your tongue, and I think it's like that. So many people kind of explain that uh, uh, they've had that kind of situation. You know, they feel that there's something about Mars that is, that is tied with us, so... Um, you know that that's an important thing, but yeah, to sort you know to get back to that issue though of the of the pyramids, you know I think that is one of the most important things. That why shouldn't they be? Why shouldn't they look like um, ancient Greek pillars and things like that? If it's just random stuff, yeah, you know, and and that's not what's happening. Apart from a couple of other things, you know, everything really is, um, you know, kind of. Um, based around um, Egypt. And, um, I mean, there's another example of this as well. And um, this relates to um, Nefertiti. Now, Nefertiti um, was one of the most primary significant figures um, in Egyptian history. Now, if you turn to page 128 of the book and you kind of squint... It looks just like a side-on imagery of Nefertiti with her... Oh, I see uh, it. Yeah, you, she, she was known for wearing, as the Egyptians did then, back then, those huge, tall hats. Yep. Um, and you've got, like, the eye, the nose, um, the chin, and, um, and the, a thin neck. And if you look at it, it really does look like... And if you turn back a page you'll see one of the original pictures um, made in, in Egypt thousands of years ago. And if, if you look for it, particularly on the, the right-hand side, you've got that picture of Nefertiti there, again, with a small th- uh, neck, thin neck, nose, mouth, and, and a huge hat. And then, you know, if you go back and then look at the other one again, the parallels are clearly there. Yeah, I see it. And mm-hmm. that, you know, and he was the weird, he was the weird pharaoh. What was Akhenaten? I, yeah. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I, think, I think you are. Like, he was yeah. the one that was yeah. like, there's only one god. And everyone was like, no, we want our all, we want all the gods. And, yeah. But he was the one that kind of, he stands, he looked different. If I remember yeah. the story, he was the one that went through and scratched all the faces off of all the statues. If, if, mm-hmm. if my memory serves me correct, as far as Akhenaten's concerned. Um but to me, it just seems like there is just that you mentioned this 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 connection between Earth and Mars, and see, I remember seeing that pyramid the first time, which was years and years and years ago now, 
it just all seemed to click for me. Now, I mean, it's it's very easy to assume like right away, like, well, yeah, we have pyramids here, they have pyramids there, we must have be sharing something. Whether they came here, I mean, one of the stories we always hear about the you know the pyramids in Giza, for example, was okay. There, there. I mean, power of ingenuity, power of collaboration is one thing. People think that you know those things were impossible to build. They were far from impossible to build, as far as building them. Right? You have enough people mm-hmm. to do the work. I happen to lean on the side of they were not slaves, like some people say. I think, and I think that idea that they were they were an army of slaves that built the pyramids has been gradually going away more and more every year. They were not slaves. These were people that were taken very good care of. Being a pyramid builder, builder, for example, was a very noble job to have, and you were treated very well. You were fed like a horse. Um, you, you, you were taken very good care of, right? Um, so when you have a workforce like that who's strong and smart, you can do anything, in my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you're, when you're being told, hey, if you help me with this thing, you can go to heaven also, right? Well, and, and the pyramid itself, I think more people are – there's been some stuff recently that – they learned the ones in Egypt could have potentially have been power generators. So if this structure itself serves other purposes than just what we always thought was just, oh, it's a really giant tomb, that it could have at some point created energy to use for the people and for whatever purpose. Yeah. If that shape does that on Earth, it's going to probably do that on other planets as well. And maybe plant, you know, maybe pyramids on Mars followed suit and did something similar maybe that's where the egyptians got the idea well, who knows but that's that was what i was saying though too is that it and again i'm 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 coming high level here it's been said that yeah i i think the majority of the lot of us believe that yeah we human beings built the pyramids in giza that's we're talking about giza only right yeah um the question still is well who the heck designed them because they're so well, and we, as we all know, sitting here, how well, well yeah, designed, lined up with Orion how perfectly and... built they. Well, I'm just talking about from an, an uh. engineering standpoint, how well built they are, right? Yeah. Um, and my thing's always been okay. Somebody else may have designed them. Somebody else yeah, may have sure. given the inspiration and the idea for that. And why not to say, okay, here comes the gods again, right? Which we see all over Egyptian hieroglyphs and stuff like that. The same idea. Um, why not coming down? Why not that be the narrative? I'm not saying that it is the narrative, but it seems like a, it makes a whole lot of sense to me, at least. Yeah, it does. And I mean, there's a lot of controversy surrounding, you know, when the pyramids were actually um, put into place. I mean, for example, uh, Robert Schock has yes. done a lot of re- good, strong research suggesting <sighs> that the Sphinx itself was actually not built by the Egyptians. It was um, created by an even older yes. but highly advanced civilization and that the the uh, Egyptians in, in essence inherited the um, the Sphinx but um, but on the subject of the Sphinx um, I won't bombard you with uh, just one more <laughs> photograph but if you turn to page 131 um, and this photograph, it's known as the Twin Peaks photo because although in this picture you can only see one sort of peak, if you like, um, and although it looks like a hill at the top, you can see what looks sort of like, um, almost like a road around it at the top, sort of curving around. Um, and below it, you can see what actually does look a, a bit like a sphinx. You've it got does. like the, the lion body, 
and then the head and then like the paws at the front it does actually look like um the sphinx now mm -hmm. what's intriguing about that is that whatever that thing is that dark colored thing in the background that is that is significant in size and what it actually is we don't know and unfortunately so far as we know nasa didn't get any more closer pictures than that one now the one on the left page is the original picture and the one on the right is the one that i expanded it and blew it up a bit um but you know when you see what something that superficially at least looks kind of like this the sphinx in the distance and then you've got right above it sort of like a pyramid type structure which appears to have like a almost like a road going around it yeah. um then you have to wonder you know what are the chances of seeing a sphinx like thing right below something that looks like a pyramid with lines around it it's um you know it's almost impossible really to sort of you know come to terms with this other than that somebody created that a very very long time ago yeah, that stuff's wild to look at i could look at pictures of this all the time and just be like i don't know and it, it's well, weird. It, makes you, it makes you wonder it makes, it makes you, you wonder think. it makes me want to go on like the mars curiosity site because i haven't done it in a long time and mm. just go stare and see what i could find but i like we talked about earlier with nasa potentially editing stuff you know someone is sitting there editing stuff before it goes on live like it probably i have no doubt because or if there's no something doubt. that whether it's paradelia or not if they see something that they're like oh my god that one looks like you know something i don't donald trump and they're like we can't put that one out that one's going to go out of control like just i don't know so yeah I, I know i could see where they could pick and choose whatever but i you know to bring it back to earth mac tony's coined a term called crypto terrestrials that you mentioned in your book mm. and i wouldn't mind touching on this a little bit the idea that things have lived with us well yeah i mean this is sort of a fascinating scenario um mac before his, his death he was only about i think he was 34 when he died and he had um he had a, a pre-existing heart condition and um but he and you know had he not died at like 34 he probably would have gone on to you know write a, a lot of cool books but uh, his first one was called after the martian apocalypse which um Again, we're sort of, you know, looking at the distant past of, uh, of Mars. But the crypto-terrestrials, um, the theory is an interesting one. He, he wondered if um, that at least some of the, um, the, the UFO phenomena um, may actually not be extraterrestrial, but the, the sort of the, the final vestiges, if you like, of an ancient human civilization or even more intriguingly, that there could have been uh, ancient Martians came to the Earth a long, long time ago and over time became overwhelmed by us, the human race, and that they now kind of live in stealth and deep underground and very, very rarely surface. So in other words, we're talking about an ancient human civilization and maybe an ancient Martian civilization that essentially sort of moved underground and that we, you know, we only see them very occasionally. And, and he came up with some interesting ideas, you know. I mean, you consider how far 
the vast distances from, you know, Earth to the nearest um, star system. It, you know, it's, it would mind you, boggle your mind, you know, trying to even get yeah, your head yeah. around it. Um, and Mac wondered, well, maybe the reason why we actually see so many of these craft and, you know, they're able to easily move around us is because they are actually trapped on the Earth. You know, and um, but they realise that we're sort of very warlike um, society, and so they keep away from us. You know, and only occasionally do we really have sort of close, close encounters with them. That's the idea that there's been a civilization living in the center of the planet. That that whole concept—it's it, yeah. so just underground stuff. Underground, underground stuff. It, yeah. Well, and then the idea of a USO, unidentified submerged object, where yeah. things come out of the water. The oceans are massive. They're so big. Yeah. We don't know what is built under there or mm. what. It just mm. nah. And <laughs> I, <laughs> it's overwhelming to think yeah. about. But it, that is really spooky to me to think about things <clears throat> living right under our noses. Yeah, I, that's so eerie. But even with the abduction phenomena, like just things coming up and going, bloop, just taking us for some stuff. Yeah, like oh. I think the problem I, that I have, you know, it's not a problem really, but you know, I want to go to these places. I want to explore these things, and that's my problem. Is you know what what's really happening? What's really going on out there? Uh, and it's frustrating because, yeah, you'd want to put yourself right in the line of fire, but a lot of times, especially nowadays, right, you can't. I'd love to go to uh, go to Egypt, for example, and to, to, to Giza Plateau and, and sit in front of these monoliths. Not No pun intended on that one, but sit in front of these massive structures, right, and see what's mm-hmm. going on and try to develop my own thoughts, but we can't right now. <laughs> we're even worse off right now and 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 all this stuff we discussed here today um it's so exciting it's it all so exciting to me i mean and because anytime you mention robert shock to me i get excited because yeah I, you mentioned that a few minutes ago and i i'll put that out there i mean his his theory on the erosion the yeah. the, the yeah. water erosion on the on the you know especially on the butt of the sphinx literally on the butt of the sphinx um is to me some of the most compelling thought and writing I have ever seen studying anything involved with the weird, let's say, right? It's, it's to me, one of the most rock-solid things out there as far as this changes our history. And boy, does that sound yep. familiar, right? This, this changes everything based on hard scientific data, right? Go ahead, Amber. And, well, and his theories are just getting proven more and more. Like him and Graham Hancock both, who have always said things are a lot older than they seem and then suddenly Gobekli Tepe's you know discovered and all this stuff just keeps coming out where even academia is starting to go oh we better like kind of revisit this idea maybe Graham Hancock and Robert Schock and um, Jaws, uh, John Anthony West. Maybe they yeah, weren't yeah. so wrong to begin I, with. They, they weren't, and and you know, going back to ancient aliens for a second yeah. too. You met you guys. You mentioned that Amber, and you did mention. Maybe I do think maybe, and I I don't want to turn this into a big giant conspiracy theory, but I've always found, at least from my viewpoint, we but we all know that if if Trump President Trump got on uh, TV right now, hopped on the TV and said it's a special announcement. Um, hey, so here's the deal. Everything everything you thought existed, it totally exists. There are UFOs. Um, 
there's life on Mars that we figured out. We just haven't been telling you. But there's UFOs flying around here, and maybe something like 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 we just said a minute ago. Yeah, there's Martians that live with us. They yes, just, they're they, underground. They're underground, or maybe they're they're cleverly disguised. Who knows, right? So this is all going on. Of course, of course, of course, you're going to have people flipping out. I get that, right? So maybe what i'm what i think is happening is just stuff is just like stuff trickling. like we well, are yeah, trickling the information in through things like ancient aliens <laughs> right? where where a lot because let's be let's be frank a lot of people i think they bag on ancient aliens it's well, a, there's a lot of memes and stuff on well, ancient aliens yeah but then that's um, a way you get used to it that's what i'm saying because you have that small but you have that small fraction of that viewer base that are like i believe it all yeah, I believe it all. But the majority of people are it's but it, it's simply not to get too crazy with it, but it just simply is tr- trickling that information. in. Well, like yeah, because if aliens land on the White House lawn, then we just throw up a bunch of memes with Giorgio Sukalos, you know, and everyone's just like, yeah, whatever. I was right. Yeah, you know. Yeah, bitch exactly. It, bitch it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was right. Yeah, I know. But it's, th- it's but, fun. But this this whole topic, Nick, is it's just so exciting to me. Uh, I know it is to Amber, too. Uh and 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 bravo you for putting this whole thing together. This is some amazing. I know work this you did. is a really fun book. If you are yeah. completely new Thanks, to the guys. whole Mars thing, yeah. definitely pick up Mars. Uh, Mars. I'm looking at Mars. Oh my god! I, sorry. What's wrong with you? I thought just thought Marnie's name. Marnie disappeared Marnie real disappeared quick, and I said, studio. yeah, it was a combination of Marnie and Nick together. But anyway, um, you got to pick up this book. It's yeah. a really good read. Especially the remote viewing stuff. I found I was just I had to re- go back Absolutely and reread that twice because I was so sucked into that concept. Yeah, totally. Plus, remote viewing is fascinating to me. And yeah. of course, Nick, like we said, has written all the other books all on the, the books. planet. Nick's so, written all the books. Library of Congress. It's all of Nick's books. So, <laughs> Nick, are you working on anything new right now? What's that? Are you working on anything new right now? Oh, yeah, I've got another book. Um, I think the next one will be out round about um, March, and it'll be kind of like a, an A to Z of everything to do with time travel. Oh, oh wow. Awesome. That's a whole other thing that I just I, I want to wrap my brain around more is the, I, the concept of time travel. We have to have you back yes. next year if you'd like, Nick, to come chat about yeah, that. Yeah, I'll be That'd happy be cool. to. Yeah. Great. But thank you again for spending some time with us here, Nick. Um, Congratulations on the book. We, we we are totally immersed in this thing, and we're we're nerding out as we speak. And uh, hopefully we see you next September. Hopefully we see you next September. Yes, sir. Yeah, that'll be great. And uh, hopefully, you know, we can all uh, catch up with everybody and uh, have a good time. Ghostly Talk! <laughs>